Good morning, everybody. Great to be together today. We're on part two of our series, Back to the Movies. And today we're talking about Dead Men Tell No Tales. It's part of the uh, Disney Pirate series, Pirates of the Caribbean. We're going to be starting over in Hebrews chapter 9. Writer of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is this amazing sacrifice once for all. And he says in verse 27, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. The Bible makes it very clear. The life you have, you get one opportunity. The Bible says you get to live one life and then you're going to die once and then you will not face purgatory you will face judgment. And that's it. That's the one life. You know, I saw the movie uh, A Dog's Life. Apparently the producers believe in reincarnation. The Bible makes it very clear. That's not the case. By the way, great movie, but super sad. It's like watching Old Yeller back to back like three or four times in a row. I cried many times in that movie. But you don't get another life to improve on the one you just lived. You don't get to wait to see what happens and then make your decision. The Bible says you get one life and then you will die. That is a promise. There are no exceptions. We don't get to determine the time or the place. The Bible says after you die you will face judgment. Now, the fact of judgment is you think, oh, wow, that's a really depressing verse, you know. I'm going to die and then I face judgment. You know, right on the heels of that, it says, hey, Jesus was that one sacrifice that took away for the sins of many. But it says he's going to come back again to bring salvation to those who are waiting. You see, to die and then face judgment is good news for those who've done what they've needed to do for salvation. For those who've made the most of their one life, death is not negative. Death is entrance to eternity, to the real life, to be in the presence of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And yet, if you're not waiting for salvation, if that's not what you're living your life for, well, then you will face judgment. And you will not be with God. The Bible makes it very clear. You will be in hell. You go, well, that's scary. I didn't come to church to hear a message about hell. 
you know, the fact is there has to be another place because if God is in heaven, there has to be another place for people that don't want to live life God's way. And so you'll hear people ask all the time, how can a loving God send people to hell? Now, a loving God created us and a loving God sent his son to die for us to take away our sins. But a loving God gives you a choice of what to do with your life. Now, a loving God wants you to have salvation, but a loving God will not make you be saved against your will. So what does he do? Well, the loving God gives you your life and says, all right, I will let you make your own choices. And then after that, you're going to die and you're going to have to give an account. Now, to those who've done what the Bible commands and are waiting for salvation, that's a glorious day. But for those who have chosen to live life their way and not do it God's way, well, that's the end of the line. The fact is God has given you the opportunity to choose. You know, I appreciate Scott being open about his life. You know, we all have stories to tell, right? You know, wouldn't it have been sad if that story ended and Scott was just like, yeah, I was just a mean grump and that's how it ended and I walked off, left him there with that fridge and said, figure it out. You know, I'm thankful Scott, Scott has a soft heart. You know, nobody wants to be in trouble, but sometimes we want to make troubling decisions. And then we get called to an account. And so the sad thing is sometimes we feel like I, I can I can work the system. If I get a bad grade, I'll I'll talk to the teacher. If if I if this happens, I'm gonna do this. I'll just raise my voice. I'll just threaten more. I'll just figure it out. You know, some of us are professionals at making excuses for our bad choices. We live in a society that rarely takes responsibility. Everything we do is somebody else's fault. Every bad decision we made is because somebody did something to me. No, you're going to give an account for the decisions that you make. And after you die, there will be no excuses. There, there will be no tales to tell. You'll be judged according to how you have lived. And whether or not you're there waiting for salvation to enjoy that glorious day or whether or not it's bad news. But the Bible says you will die once and after that you will give an account. I want to go over to Luke chapter 12 and read a story that Jesus told. And it starts in verse 13 where Jesus in this discussion with the crowd and you know i always i like to put myself in situations and think what would i do what would i say you know and imagine if you got the opportunity you're you're in a crowd or you know you you go to class and you're you're in math class and jesus walks in and the teacher says okay we've got jesus here you can ask jesus anything you want to like what would you ask 
Well, there was somebody in that crowd, and they got their opportunity. Jesus was right there. And what was the one thing that was on their heart? Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He had the King of kings and the Lord of lords right there. And what was the thing that was on his heart? I got some inheritance issues with my brother. You need to fix him. Yeah, that's just kind of an interesting place to start and go, what would, what would you ask Jesus? What's the thing on your heart right now that if Jesus and you sat down, you would want him to fix? Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, to the crowd, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions or refrigerators. See, Scott just shared about this parable right here. You know, it was that fridge. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. And I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores things up for themselves but is not rich toward God. You know that phrase, eat, drink, and be merry? Jesus was quoting a phrase from the community. It was just one of those phrases that everybody knew. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's how the Jews were living way back in Jesus' day. You know, kind of like How we're living. The society we're in. Hey, you got to enjoy life. You got to look out for number one. What am I going to get? What can I go after? It's all about how I can relax. How I can entertain. How I can enjoy. It's all about pleasing the self. You know, guys, we certainly relate to this. We're kind of project and system People, so everything's kind of a project, and then we complete one project, and we think, ah, you know, we're going to build that, uh, you know, item, we're going to, you know, finish the fence, we're going to do something, and as soon as that's done, the satisfaction I'm going to have at completing that is going to be so fulfilling. You know what, life's just never that way, is it? As soon as you finish that, something else comes along, and then pretty soon now, you've got something else to do. You know, we can relate. You know, if this person was a guest speaker at a business seminar, we'd go, wow, successful businessman. Look, their business has grown. They're, they're saving for their retirement. They're going to be able to go on great vacations. 
I mean, look at there. They're expanding. They got more stuff for the storage and all that. I mean, wow. What's your business model? I want to follow what you're doing because you have grown your business. I respect that. Do you realize that Jesus called them a fool? You say, why did Jesus call him a fool? Because he had his entire life upside down. The problem wasn't the business model. The problem was the priority of the business model. Increasing in wealth was not the problem. The problem was the priority of increasing with wealth. What do you want to plug in there? How about education? Education is good. But if it's out of priority, it's now a problem. Relationships are good. But if it's out of priority, it's a problem. You know, here's a beautiful mansion. You know, you look at that, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to live there? Man, there's not a one of us that doesn't think, that'd be awesome. Is that Airbnb? Can I? What if I told you you could rent that for a hundred bucks a night? I'd be lying. <laughs> I didn't say you could, I said what if. Okay? It was beautiful. You know, may, maybe the mansion that we think of is I'm not here. We're not like an ocean person. We like the mountains. Yeah, we won't want to be, be up in the mountains somewhere. Cold weather, snow, four real seasons. Not really hot, hot and not as hot. Yeah, what, what's your picture? You say, well, what do you mean? I go, no, what, what's, what's in your mind eye? When you live life, what is it that, that you're thinking of? What's the end result? What's the achievement? What's the goal? You know, this mansion is actually owned by a famous man, uh, Richard Branson, owner of Virgin Airways. Here's what his home looked like the day after the hurricane. I bet you could rent that for a hundred bucks on Airbnb. There's no running water. Uh, there's no power. There's no windows. You get a really good deal on that. Yo, it's amazing how life can just change in an instant. I remember the Northridge earthquake. We had just moved here from Toronto with two babies. I remember everything breaking, and you never heard it break. Plates, dishes, paintings, everything broke. You never heard it because the earthquake was so loud. I remember in that, that instant... 
But I also remember after the earthquake, you know, talking to mom and dad on the phone, and they were like, how long was it? I was like, oh, it lasted like three, four minutes. It was like 45 seconds. Felt like an hour. It was crazy. And we even had a neighbor come at about 5.30 in the morning and knock on our door. Open it up. We're like, yeah, can we help you? And he goes, you know what? The whole time the earthquake was going, all I could think about is how rude I was to you and your family last week when you came and knocked on my door to invite us to church. And I wouldn't even open the door. And I just said, nah. And I just want to tell you I'm sorry. Now, he never came to church. But in 45 seconds, life changed so radically. Now, you know, Richard Branson, he's going to be just fine. That's like one of a, a zillion homes that he owns. But isn't it amazing how the things that we live for can get taken away like that? Eternity never can. Eternity is forever. You know, God asked the question. He said, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? That's a question every single one of us better have an answer for. Can death take away what you esteem? Can death take away what you're living for? Can death take away the top priorities of your life? That's the question Jesus is asking you today. What are you living for? Your schedule will tell you. Just look at it. Go back and look at your calendar. Say, what's what's in that treasure chest of your life? I can tell you what's in there. Just look at your bank account, your credit card statements. Just see where you spend your money. That's what's in there. And Jesus says, who will get what you prepared for yourself? You see, dead men tell no tales. We're not going to be able to make excuses. We're not going to be able to justify ourselves. We get one life to live. One. And we will die. And after that, we will be judged. You know what? If in that treasure chest is salvation... Oh, that day's going to be glorious. But if it's something else, somebody else is going to get that. And that's Jesus' point. So what, what are we going to do? What are you going to live for? In Luke chapter 9, he makes this point in uh, verse 24. He says, forever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus says something powerful, and it, it, it almost doesn't make sense. He's like, if, if you lose your life, you'll save it. But if you're trying to save your life, you'll lose it. You know, it's amazing. One way or the other, you're going to lose it. But if you spent your life trying to save it, meaning live for yourself, and you put God on hold, they say, well, I want to wait till I get older, till I get out of high school, till I get out of college, till, you know, I get married, till I get my career set, or till I retire. You know, I want to wait till that point. And you're trying to live for yourself. Jesus says, you're going to lose it. And then the story ends. But it says, if you lose your life for me, then you'll save it. You know, I love how logical the Bible is, even when things don't make sense. But that helps me. It's like, really? So we got two choices. They both involve losing our life. But if we lose our life for Jesus... We save it. If we just lose our life, it's too late. You go, now what would the logical choice be? Well, to lose it for Jesus. And yet, what that means is we need something higher than ourselves. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Braveheart Every man dies, but not every man really lives. You know, that's right before the big battle. You know, and the lady that he's in love with is like, oh, you're going to die. And he's like, every man dies. But not every man really lives. What's your mentality? What is it that has grabbed your heart. You say, what options are there? I love how Paul says it in Romans 1, verse 17. He just says this, the righteous will live by faith. And really, isn't faith the difference maker? Because when you start talking about, well, you're going to lose your life either way. But if you have the faith to lose it for Jesus, then you get it back. His way. It's faith. Faith is what's going to make the difference. So how does the Bible define faith? Hebrews 11. Here's the definition. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's commands so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then down in verse 6, it says, And without faith, it's impossible.
to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does the Bible say faith is? Being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. But that is so against what our society teaches. Our society says you can only be sure of what you can hold in your hand, what you can see with your eyes. And then, you know, even if you're in front of a magician or illusionist, then you can't totally be sure because you might get tricked. And so we're always skeptical. We're always untrusting. We're not sure. You know, how can I ground myself? says the righteous will live by faith. It is absolutely impossible to please God with a sight-filled life. You can't. It's impossible. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, one of the things I love about faith is it's more than just believing God exists. I love that part in there and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Love that part of faith. You know what that means? Believe that God has your best interest in mind. Believe that God loves you. Believe that God is working for you. That he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, there's a lot of things in life that we tried to do and failed. Yeah, the high schools in Santa Clarita are big. Not everybody makes the team. In Ottawa, Iowa, that's where I grew up, everybody makes the team. You may never play, but you will make the team. Not Santa Clarita. There's cuts. You may not make the team. You tried to get into that college and you didn't get in. You didn't get in the one that you wanted to get into, so you had to go somewhere else. Like I tried really hard on my SATs or my ACTs or on my final exam, or I tried really hard to get that job, and I went through all the phases of interviewing, and then they gave that job to somebody else. Or I really like that guy, or I really like that that woman, and I pursued her, and then she fell in love with somebody else. Oh, you tried really hard at something. And then you don't get what you want. And some of us bring that into the faith realm. And we go, well, what happens if I try really hard? And then nothing happens. If you seek Him earnestly, there's no such thing as nothing happens. There is only God working, rewarding, and loving you. Now, in all my years as a minister, I've seen a lot of people put in half-hearted efforts that led to nowhere. You know, where I'm earnest today. I'm not going to be earnest tomorrow, but next Sunday... I'll probably be earnest then, too. 
No, that's like Ernest goes to camp. That's not earnestly seeking God. Okay? That's, that's like saying, I persevered for a minute. What does that mean? I was patient for 30 seconds. No, earnestly seek Him is over a period of time. It is a lifestyle. It is an endeavor. But it says that that's a part of faith. You go that it's going to happen in God's timing. But you earnestly seek Him? Oh, there's good stuff on the other side. That doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire and problem free. It's not that kind of good stuff. You're talking about what's what's going on on the inside. So where are we at? This is where some of us are at. We're standing on the edge of the decision. You know, don't look down. You're, you know, if you're afraid of heights, they always tell you don't look down. You know what people are afraid of heights do? They look down. I'm like, why do you look down? Well, I just want to think about how far I'll fall. But some of us, that's, that's where we're at spiritually. Some of us, we've been reading the Scriptures. We see the commands. We see the commitment. And we're standing right there on the cliff. And we're like, okay, I know i got to do this by faith. What if I fall? And so we're waiting right there on the edge and we keep kind of staring down, thinking about what might happen if God doesn't come through. How much pain, how much disappointment, the hurt that we're going to live with. And we're looking down. And God says the righteous will live by faith. You know, for some of us, we have no idea what the Scriptures really teach about how to live life. But we're afraid. Well, is it going to change everything? Yeah, I hope so. We need it to. Right? Or maybe we're standing on the cliff and we're, we're thinking about our weekly schedule. And all the busyness of life. Or like, if I'm going to live by faith, I just don't know where this time is going to come from. I don't know how, you know, it's, it's going to work. But really, what the problem is, is what we value most. We're still back in Luke 12, building bigger barns, and our schedule's filled with building bigger barns. God doesn't look at that scheduling as wise. He says it's foolish. You get change your schedule to make time. So what's it going to take? This. You know what movie this is from? Indiana Jones. It was one of the tests. You know what looked like this. I'm going to fall a long way off. There was a path. But you didn't see the path until you took the step. And fell down about six inches. And then all of a sudden the path was made clear. You say, I just struggle to believe. And and you know what? 
Yeah. And God will put you exactly into a situation where you have to choose to have faith or not. You know, sometimes we go, well, if it's in this area, I have no problem having faith in this area. So, you know, I can be really faithful in these nine areas as long as God doesn't test my faith in this area. You know what? Let me just give you some insight. Whenever you say that, you know what you're saying? Okay, God, bring a good faith test in this one area that I don't want my faith tested. And even if you don't say it, God knows our heart. Because our faith really boils down to where's the area that we're tempted to lack it. You know, we are not equally faithless in every area of life. But our faith is really tested most in one area. Say, so what is it for you? When you see this taking a step, what does it mean for you? What is your next step? You know, maybe it's something as simple as a conversation. Conversation with the person sitting next to you going, I'm afraid to take the next step to study the Bible. I'm afraid. I want my life to change, but I'm afraid to see what the Scriptures say. Or maybe it's a control issue. And you say, okay, I see the commitment, I see the Scriptures, but I'm afraid to really surrender and say, okay, God, I'll do it your way. Maybe it's a certain sin that you're so embarrassed, so ashamed, and Satan has come after you again and again for decades. And you're like, I I don't want to deal with that. I'll open about all this stuff, but I don't want to tell this one thing. And you carry that thousand pound weight around with you every single day. Sometimes we're afraid if I'm honest about who I really am, people aren't going to want to be my friend. They're not going to want to hang out with me anymore. I remember what I thought when I studied the Bible. I thought, I'm probably the most sinful person that they've ever dealt with, and they are not going to know what to do with what I've done. Because I thought I was with a group of, of college students and a campus minister that never sinned. Because I looked at them and I'm like, they're the most loving, patient, Bible-knowing people, committed. They go to church three times a week. They're reading and praying every day. I'm like, if I tell them what I, who I really am, they're going to be like, uh, we're going to have to call some specialists. In fact, I, I remember the talk, and I started sharing about my life, and I and I shared like some testers, like not the really ugly stuff. I kind of said, "Well, here's some things that I've seen in my life," and I was super generic, and like, and I kind of threw it out there to see, and they still love me. So then I shared a little bit more, and they still love me. 
Then I went a little deeper. And then they still love me. And then, you know what, then they all started sharing about their life. And all of a sudden I realized, wait, you guys did the same things too? But look how different you are now. And I actually started getting hope. Wow, you mean I can be different? Oh, this is awesome. And then it was like, oh, and then there's this thing. And then there's this thing. And this thing and this thing. And I was like, because all of a sudden I believe by faith I can be different. It wasn't just coming clean. It was that there was hope. And it was amazing how you take one step and that would lead to another step. That would lead to another step. Really, the question for you is what step will you take? You're going to take a step. You're going to take a step in order to get out of here. But you know what's true? Is the steps that you take before you get to that door are going to determine the rest of your life. Dead men tell no tales. You, God has given you one life. So what will you do with the choice that he's given you? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I really pray for each one of us that what comes home is the value of salvation. I love that passage in Hebrews 9 where it says, He's going to appear another time to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. That's the step we want to take. Take that next step. Talk to somebody. Before you leave, because it will change the rest of your life. Let's keep these things in mind and live life for God. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.